Welcome to episode 425 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Howdy. Howdy. Um, so there were a few firsts in baseball today on the on the season. Uh, we had the Royals hitting their first home run of the season, which was long overdue. Uh-huh. We, we had Billy Hamilton getting his first steal. Uh, which was on Yadier Molina, who did not attempt to throw because it was it was futile. He was he was there by the time the pitch was at the plate, and he did he basically did Billy Hamilton things the whole game. Uh, he he in that same inning scored on basically a pop up. It was caught by the right fielder, but could have been caught by the second baseman. He tagged and scored. He also had a single, and I think he had a triple, and he beat out a bunt, and it was the sort of thing that we have hoped to see from Billy Hamilton. And um, we saw the first managerial ejection of the season. Uh, Rick Renteria was ejected for arguing balls and strikes. And I'm kind of curious about whether—I mean, obviously there are— usually many more managerial ejections than this. We haven't seen any because you can now appeal and go to a replay instead of arguing fruitlessly until you get thrown out of the game. I also, I kind of wonder whether we'll see fewer ejections even for balls and strike only arguments, disputes, than we would have in the past just because managers are maybe just sort of in a better mood now or kind of have friendlier feelings toward umpires now that they're not bitter about some call that they think didn't go their way and and they had no recourse and they were frustrated about it so maybe they would take it out the next time there was a a borderline pitch or something and now that won't happen um and actually joe madden tweeted something yesterday he said it's been a love fest with the umpires a big happy discussion almost no reason to get upset anymore except balls and strikes um so even even balls and strikes probably less upsetting than they would have been in the past. So managerial ejections and arguments, sort of sadly, but not totally sadly, really an endangered species now. Um, just not something that we see anymore. And uh, the other thing that happened was that Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run off Tim Lincecum. So that now takes his head-to-head record against Lincecum to... 13 for 24 with seven home runs. Um, so are you are you buying any ownership of Lincecum on Goldschmidt's part? Um, hmm. Good question. Yes. I wouldn't say so. Uh-huh. So. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, a hardcore anti-matchup person. I, I know a lot of people are. Uh, and I'm not. I I buy I buy ownership, mm-hmm. but um, I I I guess I just don't quite get there yet with Goldschmidt. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about it is that that almost entirely includes the portion of Linscombe's career where he sucked, and um, so it's not unusual for players to hit home runs 
against Simlins Goodman. And obviously this is more than usual, um, but uh, a lot of players have hit Linscom hard in the last two years. And so it's, it's, more, it's, it's more believably within the realm of, of random fluctuation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I noted, I noted today that Ian Desmond actually has a higher career OPS mm-hmm. against Linscom, and that's only in 14 plate appearances, so about half as much time. But uh, people hit Linscom hard. Like, that's kind of his deal now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm, it's, it's uh, compelling, but not quite convincing to me yet. Mm-hmm. The uh, sacrifice fly dropped his career OPS against Linscom <laughs> by like 30 points. <laughs> um, and the other thing I wanted to touch on, can we just talk about this catch, no catch transfer rule for a second? Have you been following sure. this? Um, so, yeah. So there's, uh, there's now this rule, or I don't know if there's actually a, there's no new rule on the books, right? It's just a new interpretation um, of the way that the transfer rule is interpreted. So if you catch a ball and you have it in your glove and then you drop it when trying to transfer to make the throw, you are not credited with the catch, even, it seems, if you have held onto the ball for really a, a pretty long time. I mean, Josh Hamilton caught a uh, a ball the other day that it, it was pretty clearly a catch and, and a drop in the transfer. And that was, you know, a few seconds. Maybe he had possession of it. Uh, today, though, or, or Wednesday, there was one where Elliot Johnson had the ball. After the catch, I mean, he took steps. He took like a few steps after the catch. It was very clearly having possession of the ball. Um, and he dropped the ball on the transfer, and uh, it was ruled not a catch, and Terry Francona challenged the call, and it was it was upheld. It stood. Uh, so this was probably the most glaring example of this, but we've seen it a few times recently, and I wonder what you think about this this new interpretation. Well, a few is more than two, and you named two. Is there a third? Yeah, there there have been others. I think the the Elliot Johnson one was the the most obvious okay. example, but yes. Uh, you know, there's this. Um, you know, with football, football's had replay for a long time, and and announcers have noted in the past that um, you know one of the hard things for for uh, officials when they're doing replay is trying to determine possession of the ball mm-hmm. because um, in in frame by frame. It's it's actually like you can almost always see movement of the ball. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it, even even if you have possession, you can see movement of it. And there's this way that the frame by frame actually distorts what's happening and makes it um, like the literal interpretation of what's happening takes you away from what is actually happening. Like the literal is actually less real. And so my I guess I, I mostly have only seen the Hamilton one that you're talking about, but. I'll send you um, the Elliot Johnson one while we talk, but uh. I mean, so you you're allowed to you're allowed you know it's not an official catch until you voluntarily take it out of your glove until um, you know until are you okay you sent it to me uh, until um, you know until you remove it from your glove right and um, that hasn't changed I mean that's the rule that's the there's an ad. Uh, that's the that's the rule, and that's still the rule as they interpret it. But when you watch in like slow motion on replay, uh, you can convince yourself that the ball is kind of falling out of the glove unwillingly. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the case. I, I feel like this is a case where where umpires have watched this video like a little too literally. Yeah. Because um, it's I don't even know that the interpretation. Uh, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That uh, I'm watching the Ellie Johnson one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, because that when you watch it in full speed and and you know with with decades of baseball watching behind you, you realize that that's a a natural action that fielders take to sort of move the glove toward the hand, and then you you kind of um you you sort of release the ball before your your hand actually has possession of it. If Hamilton referred to it as a flip, I think he said he flips the the ball to his hand, and and it's not nearly as as drastic as it sounds when he says that. It's really just that you, there's like a there's like a two there's a two step action to taking the ball out of your glove. One is that your glove hand releases it. The other is that your your throwing hand takes possession of it. And when you watch that in slow motion, which now the umpires can do, um, it you see this second before the ball is in control of the hand, mm-hmm. where it is no longer in control of the glove. And so I think that I ba- frankly, basically, what I'm saying is I don't think this is like a new interpretation of the law at all i don't think there's any precedent here i think this is just bad umpiring i think those are those are mistakes that will quit being made Hmm. yeah uh rob nyer tweeted something which is what you're saying he said sorry guys but what you think is a clean catch in quotes might be and sometimes is the baseball rolling around loose in a glove out of control um and he also said i know it's hard but i hope mlb sticks to the new rule about the clean transfer from glove to hand i never liked the ambiguity and I, I'm, I'm trying to think back, and I can't really remember many examples of times when I thought that this was a problem before. You know, like, I mean, there, were, there was the occasional play where you weren't really sure whether it was a drop ball or, or a transfer, but it wasn't something that bothered me routinely. Yeah, you, in, those, in those instances, you genuinely weren't sure whether it had been caught or not. Yeah. And there was the, the ambiguity was whether the umpires had given too much credit for the catch. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not what we're talking about here. These, these, the ball is, it seems to me in these cases, the ball is clearly in control and it is in the process of moving it toward the throwing hand that it uh, is loosed, um, but intentionally. Mm-hmm. I think it seems clear to me that, that it's fairly intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah, this was something that teams were, were told, I think, um, Daniel Rathman wrote about it yesterday in the, the his "What You Need to Know" column at, at Baseball Prospectus, and uh, he he said, as Rangers manager Ron Washington told reporters, the league informed clubs during spring training that runners would be called safe on any failed transfer, after which replay would be initiated to determine whether the fielder controlled the ball while in contact with the base, which seemed uh, seemed okay, but in in practice, it's sort of sort of murky and it seems like maybe they've gone a bit overboard on this mm-hmm. um yeah. so we'll probably we'll probably see it corrected along with other things as as the replace stuff develops hey can i banter something real quick yep i believe we've talked uh, in the past about the astro 0.0 nielsen rating that they got <laughs> last year yes uh and grappled with what that means for baseball and for what the astros are doing and i just want to note that um uh, they got another 0.0 Nielsen rating. They had one last September, and I actually wrote about that game as the worst game of 2013. Mm-hmm. But they got another one on Monday, mm-hmm. and to me, this is significant. It's actually a significant development compared to 
the one they had last year. Last year was pretty easily excused because it right. was on a Sunday. Yes. Uh, they were going up against football. Uh, you know, it was it was September. You know, the Astros were in the middle of a seven-game losing streak and, you know, 75 games out of first place. It was like two weeks from the end of the year. There's really no reason to watch that game. Uh, this was game seven. They were three and three. They were going up against a division rival. Uh, and there, it was a Monday, so there is, I mean, for goodness sake, a Monday in April. There's no such thing as football. On Game Monday seven makes it sound so momentous. <laughs> like, uh, it was a must win. Uh, yeah. uh, well, by Shaughnessy standards, it was. <laughs> yes, uh, it's true. And so, um, so this is, uh, I mean, it, it again, like zero point zero Nielsen ratings are s- sort of a statistical, like they're just kind of a fluke, right? I mean, clearly people watched it just one of the thousand households that is, has a meter wasn't watching. And so it's not necessarily a big difference from a 0.2 or whatever. Um, but nonetheless, you get the feeling that if they're getting 0.0s on Mondays in April, um, that this could be a, a recurring thing and uh, makes you question anew uh, what Astros baseball means to the Astros. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Houston Chronicles piece I think, or maybe it wasn't, maybe Mike Axisa noted this, uh, that it was broadcast at the same time as a NASCAR race, which feels like a, <laughs> a, a NASCAR race on a Monday feels like being a, like a very generous excuse yes. for, for what is there happening. There are always other channels. Yeah. Uh, well, there was a, a strongman competition <laughs> right. from 1994 <laughs> being replayed uh, on Fox Sports 2. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. There were um, billiards competitions going on. <laughs> you know? Uh, right. There were other cable channels Shawshank was on TNT. So. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, uh, good one. You, you found the perfect reference. Thank, thank you. you. Um, the last bit of banter, uh, we talked the other day about um, players accepting extensions and whether whether they are costing themselves money and whether... They should consider other players' potential contracts when they are negotiating these extensions and whether the union should be upset about players potentially not maximizing the dollars. So Buster only talked to Glenn Perkins, who signed what seemed like a fairly team-friendly extension with the Twins recently. And um, this is just uh, quoting the paraphrasing from MLB Trade Rumors. Uh, Perkins said that he made clear to his agent as far back as his first extension that he was happy to take a deal and stay in town rather than pricing himself out of the organization. The lefty says that maximizing money is not the most important thing and saw value in the possibility of a World Series run with his hometown club while providing for his family's future when he had the chance. He kicked things off by suggesting a new deal to his agent with a deal coming together quickly thereafter. Then he was asked for his opinion on the idea of players accepting so-called team-friendly deals, and Perkins said that the chances of upside are met and often exceeded by the possibility of blowing your arm out. It becomes somewhat easier to take on risk as a player's earnings rise throughout their career, Perkins noted, but looking for a little more is tough when you are always one pitch away. His ultimate advice to players is get yours while you can. So that was a very explicit formulation of what we had been talking about. And I wonder if we could, maybe we should do a better job of quantifying that injury risk when we talk about extensions for pitchers and we just sort of do the hand wave where we say that, you know, you, as Pergen said, that you're always one pitch away and that you can always blow out your arm. Maybe we should do a better job of actually 
calculating what the odds of that are and factoring that into our analysis. Yeah, well, I mean, it's part of the Pakoda, long-term Pakoda projections. But, of course, there's, you know, I think as we've all noted when we talk about these extensions, there's a, there's a big difference between, um, you know, the uh, first percentile outcome for a player and, you know, like the 10th. And that's a bigger difference for them than the 10th and the, the 90th, right? I mean, getting $0 is a much bigger loss than, than simply losing, you know, an extra million on top, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you just, you basically basically the goal is that you don't want to have to work for your dad's landscape company. Like that's there's a big difference in <laughs> happiness. And I mean, I think any sort of uh, you know happiness science will note that that like the the extra million dollars that you get when you have nine million or ninety million or whatever doesn't do much for your happiness. But there's a big difference between being like sort of. Uh, like lower middle class and being upper middle class like that actually does show a big difference in in people's happiness so we just lost all of our landscaping listeners nice job it's not it's not it's there's nothing i mean landscaping is a great thing i'm just saying like your dad's a jerk you don't want to work for him <laughs> um right? okay I mean, right? uh, everybody, sure. right? everybody sure. agrees with that you don't want to work for your dad sure. even if he's not a jerk you don't want to work for him like my dad's great I like him. He's really wonderful. Everybody should work for my dad, but not me. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so the actual topic of this podcast, we'll probably end up talking about less than we have talked about other things already. Um, but not, not my dad, just to be clear, because not <laughs> my dad. I mean, I'm accepting my dad who's listening. Right, he listens. Um, okay, so... There have been a lot of injuries lately. Uh, I, I have not looked to to see the actual rate. There's been a lot of hand-wringing about the Tommy Johns, of course, and everything else. And it is it's quite conceivable that the injury rate has risen. It, it was as high as it's ever been, I believe, last year. Uh, and it does seem like there have been quite a few significant injuries. So I just want to go through some of the most significant. I want you basically to pick the injury that we've seen so far that is most likely to make the difference between a team making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. So when we get to the end of the year and we do a retrospective analysis and we say that if this team had had this guy instead of having to play this guy while that guy was on the DL, they would mm-hmm. have made it because they finished two games out or whatever it is. Um, okay. So... Do you uh, have a list? I do. Uh, Baseball Prospectus has a useful page that I don't know if many people know about, it's uh, the, the collateral collateral damage page, um, which you can get to through the homepage um, uh, in the, the transactions button at the top that just lists basically every current injury. So everyone who's on the DL right now, along with uh, why he's on the DL and what his position and what his team is and um, and also some stuff about uh, how long previous players with the same injury have tended to be on the DL and what the effect, if any, has been on performance of those players when they have returned from the DL. So sort of a, a useful page. Um, so I pulled that up and I just kind of picked out some of the, the more notable injuries here. And I guess you, we'll already just... know my, you already know my answer, though, right? Um, oh, well, <laughs> I know the one that made you the most sad. Yeah, I don't, okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's the one that you'll pick, but I'll try to think of a second one just to be just <laughs> okay. to be interesting. Um, all right, so I don't really have these in a particular order, but I'll just kind of go down the list. So, uh, of course, there's the the Jared Parker, Tommy John. Um, 
There is the Matt Moore something. We don't know exactly what it is right now, but it sounds not so good. Um, Mm -hmm. It would not surprise anyone if it were a Tommy John. Uh, And, of course, the Rays have already had Jeremy Hellickson injured. Uh, There's the Drixen Profar injury. Um, There is the Patrick Corbin injury. Uh, Another Tommy John. Of course, Beachy and Chris Medlin who is uh, the one that made you the most sad. More Tommy Johns. Um, There is also, let's see, I have some on here that probably we can rule out. Uh, Jose Reyes's hamstring probably doesn't doesn't rise to that level. Doug Fister's shoulder strain, probably too early to put him in the classes, uh, same class as someone who we know will be missing the season. Um, Manny Machado's leg thing. Uh, there's the the Josh Hamilton injury now, which mm-hmm. uh, is supposed to cost him six to eight weeks. So that's somewhat significant. There is the Jose Iglesias stress fracture that could potentially cost him the season or most of it. Um, and there is, uh, let's see, there's, um, there's Kershaw's injury, which may not prove to be all that serious. Uh, the Mets have Harvey and Parnell, but but they're the Mets. And um, I don't know. I guess you could you could throw Josh Johnson or Corey Lupke in there or Iwakuma. Yes, uh, Teixeira's hamstring. Um, Iwakuma and Walker. Yeah, I- Iwakuma and Walker seem like – I was surprised you didn't name them because Iwakuma and Walker seem interesting, although yeah. only you know only probably like three weeks and a month respectively. Or, right, uh, right. Actually, the opposite of respectively. There isn't a phrase for, for the opposite of respectively, is there? Like, if you've already started the sentence and it's too late to say mm. something other than respectively, there's not really an option, is there? Yeah, you've identified a, a major hole in the English language. Um, and, yeah, that, that's probably, those are probably the contenders. Uh, you know, Cole Hamels is hurt. Michael Bourne is hurt. There's Chapman and Latos with the Reds. Uh, Dave Robertson also with the Yankees, um, which is, you know, potentially sort of significant. Um, I think, I think that's it. You want to throw, throw Bruce Rondone in there. I know Paul Sporer was pretty upset about his Tommy job. Yeah. Um, and you could, you could sort of, I mean, you might think that the one that you would, I mean, a lot of times the, the, the injuries true effect is sort of in the, the cascade effect. And so if you have a team like the Reds that not only loses Chapman, but you know, is, is missing Broxton to start the year and who knows how he'll come back and is missing Sean Marshall to start the year. I mean, mm-hmm. you might conceivably lump those three together, right? You yeah. could, if you wanted to. Yeah. You definitely have to factor in not just the severity of the injury, but who the replacement is on that particular team, uh-huh. um, as well as where you expect that team to finish in the pennant race. So, uh, I think those are all of the possibilities. I don't think we've left out anything major. Um, so does anyone stand out to you as the most costly? Did you say, did you say Derek Holland? Uh, no, I didn't say Derek Holland. So yeah, Derek Holland's a good one. Yeah, I would say, um, and this might just be uh, years of uh, socialization, uh, but to me it feels like um, uh, with pitchers where you know that once you lose a pitcher, uh, you know, you're already extending your depth chart because you're going to have to go to your six. And you just, you know, for an almost stone cold fact that you're going to lose another one. Mm. And then you're probably going to lose another one. 
and mm-hmm. at some point. And so you're really talking about um, like a massive gap that probably extends below, you know, maybe well below sub replacement um, or well below replacement. Mm-hmm. And so the two that jump out at me the most for that reason um, would be um, Holland and Medlin, mm-hmm. uh, neither of whom are the best players you've named, mm-hmm. uh, but are both very valuable um, and provide, not only are they both good, but just in, in existing, they provide a very valuable role for a team. Um, you know, just being able to stand on the mound uh, for, you know, 800 batters is is a, is a skill. Um, and so both of those guys seem like pretty severe losses and, you know, the, coupled with uh, some of the other injuries the Braves have had uh, and coupled with the fact that I'm kind of crushing on Chris Medlin, um, <laughs> that would, that's, you know, that's the first one that came to mind. Holland is, is actually in a lot of ways a very similar uh, situation where the Rangers have had to deal with other injuries. And uh, we've seen, you know, Ross and Shepers and some other guy who I've never heard of uh, having to pitch for them so far. Uh, in fact, let me check. Do they? Yeah, they still don't have a fifth name on their <laughs> no. chart. Uh, and so those two jump out at me the most. Although, um, I mean, just on that same team, the the profile injuries possibly in the same class, right? I mean, you've got if you, well, if you three months of three months of Josh Wilson instead of Profar. Yeah, if, we don't actually know what Profar is yet, though. I mean, Profar no. might not be good. We don't know yet. He hasn't. Mm-hmm necessarily shown that he's good yet yeah um and what do you think the drop is from iglesias to gonzalez because that (sighs) feels like iglesias is clearly not the best player on that list but gonzalez is notably bad among the replacements (laughs) yes um on at the same time i feel like the tigers maybe can weather that anyway um I don't know whether that will make the difference for them. Like right. I, I thought they yeah, were. The other you know, thing is that you're looking at playoff odds and you're trying to probably zero in on teams that are between like forty and fifty-five percent. Yeah. And the Tigers so. are not one of those teams, but the Braves are, and the Rangers are. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers are actually now at thirty-one percent. Braves are at um, at forty-one percent, and so both of those teams, it seems like, are right on that like uh, teeter-totter place. Uh, you yeah. see how carefully I avoided saying tipping point. <laughs> Yes. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't sold on Iglesias as even necessarily an above-average shortstop. Um, but right. I figure Gonzalez, probably you're lucky if you get replacement level from him. So, I don't know, maybe you're maybe you're talking about a couple wins there. Um, you could but, also mention, by the way, you could mention Gio Soto for the Rangers. Because yeah. Aaron Sibia is, is brutal. I mean, Aaron Sibia is... Uh, Aaron Sibia might, I always think back to that time when, uh, and, uh, this is going to sound worse than it is, but like in 2006 or so, 2005, maybe Rob and I wrote a column about how, how Jose Reyes was the worst regular in baseball. Mm. And, uh, uh, he, you know, explained that position later when Jose Reyes was a superstar. And so I don't, that is, this is in no way intended to pick on that column at all. But ever since then, I've, I've always kind of thought about, like, at any given point, who the worst player, who the worst regular in baseball is, and it might be Aaron Sibia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think probably I would take the, I'd take probably at least one, maybe two other Rangers injuries as more costly than that, but that's that's not a good one. Um, 
Well, I don't know. I'm inclined to go with one of the pitchers who is guaranteed to miss the season. Um, I I don't know. My initial thought was Parker, but as you as you wrote, the the A's did have pretty good starting rotation depth at least to begin the season. So, um, I mean, who are you talking about getting Parker's starts? Some some mix of you know Malone and Jesse Chavez and yeah, they haven't even had to call up Malone yet, and they still have Pomeranz in the bullpen. I mean, if they were really to that, if they were really at that point, they would have they would have depth mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, you lose Pomeranz out of the bullpen, and Malone will be up shortly. I think he just hasn't been needed yet. Um, I mean, I'm not a Malone is Parker. on the I'm active big... roster right now. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm not a huge fan of Parker, mm-hmm. and so uh, that one was kind of a non-starter for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if if the Rays lose more for the season. And I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Moore at the moment, anyway. But yeah. if they if they lose Moore, that um, that's potentially pretty big because you figure if that they do lose more, yeah, right. And you have to factor in that I don't know, maybe he'll wake up tomorrow and feel just fine, and he'll his second opinion will be really positive, and and he'll be back in a few weeks. But um, but there is a significant chance that he could miss the rest of this year, and. If he did, with Hellickson already out, um, uh, for another for another month, yeah, um, and they're but, I mean they don't have it's not like like they have not like yet a, had to go to to they have not had to sign three guys from independent league to fill that spot yet. No, um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like Nate Carnes, if more were out for the year, if more were out for the year, that would be a, a definite contender. Yeah, um, I don't know who their fifth starter would be right now. Yeah, Nate Carnes, I guess. Um, so, I, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm leaning, but maybe maybe I won't take that just because we're not sure yet that, that it is that bad. Um, so, I don't know, maybe... maybe I feel like the, the Braves guys are almost a package deal, though, because uh, if only one of them had been lost, would they have signed Irvin Santana? To replace that one, I'm not sure. So um, the fact that they lost two was was pretty pretty crushing. But I don't know if either one of them rises to right, quite like, that level. Like, like the fact that they lost two was crushing, but then they uncrushed it by right. getting Santana. Right. And so so then they're back to one. And so then which one do you credit the the loss of one to? Right? Yeah. Do they split it? They split it in half, or what? Yeah. Right. Can so, we turn this into a golly though? They, I mean, right now, like they're still starting Aaron Harang, you know. <laughs> yeah. Can um, we turn this into a bet? Is there is there a way to to like to bet on who at the end of the year which team is going to miss by the margin that the player provided or would have provided according to Pakoda? Can, uh, can we do this? Well, picking someone that's is really what we're asking, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean. Is picking someone doing that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, unless you say it's a bet, it's not a bet. So okay, it's a bet. People can okay. add it to the the Facebook group tracking of all of our other bets. 
This is dangerous because I don't think we've ever had a bet that is likely to be concluded before this podcast <laughs> is is retired. <laughs> so this one might, though, conceivably might be concluded. Yes. One of us will have to admit defeat. We've had some. Uh, we had we had the the minor league free agent draft that'll be concluded this year. Um, I don't remember that one. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm going to. I, the thing is, I don't buy the Rangers in the first place. Like if Holland mm. were healthy, I wouldn't have them making the postseason uh whereas the braves would you know i get you're right about i mean look beachy's not medlin though i mean to me they're not in the same class of pitchers so i'm gonna credit it i'm gonna credit the loss to to medlin Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna say that the braves uh will miss the postseason by a medlin margin Uh uh-huh maybe uh maybe hamilton is a sleeper here i mean if he misses two months and that's two months of of your boy jb shuck um, that, you know, that could be, that could be a, a difference maker. Potentially. Is that a reference that I'm not aware of? How is he my boy? <laughs> didn't you write a, you wrote a whole article about J.B. Shuck, didn't you? Did I dream Yeah, of? about how he was, the, <laughs> how he and Reggie Willits were the perfect comp. I mean, right. That's not exactly. <laughs> that's enough. If you write, you're the only person who's ever written an article about J.B. Shuck, so he's your boy. So Hamilton is uh, projected for 3.1 warp. Medlin 2.8. So I was going to say, yeah, but, you know, how much did you really think you were going to get out of Hamilton? But Pakoda says no, impact player. So, yeah, I think that's a, a very legit, and that's going to probably be a probably be a close division. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the Angels are already, you know, uh, starting a, a slightly sluggishly. And uh, he was the one, you know, good hitter. So, uh, yeah, and that, that seems plausible to me. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue with that. That'd be like one of the my top four, but I'm I'm sticking with Medlin because mm-hmm. I I already I already I already blew it by touting Medlin alone among all major league baseball players for the 2014 season, and <laughs> so this is like this is a second chance. You know, this is like this is like your bracket gets busted the first weekend, and then CBS <laughs> is like, oh, you can do a second round bracket, and that's me. I'm getting in the second round bracket for Medlin, so. Uh, she, I'm keeping him. Give me Medlin. Although I really, I my heart tells me that Holland might be the better pick. My uh-huh. heart doesn't tell me that. My heart very, very is the, is the opposite. My brain tells me Holland might be a better pick. But I'm sticking with Medlin. I think I'll roll the dice and go with more. Okay. I guess the it will it'll be hard to do the accounting on that one though. I mean, if if uh, if the Rays miss the playoffs by a game or two games, then we have to project what more would have been worth and then we have to figure out who replaced him or have to figure out who got starts because he didn't get starts and it'll be uh the other thing is what if they what if they win the wild card but they don't win the division and they lose the coin flip Ooh, yeah baseball made it too complicated (laughs) nonetheless nonetheless we can figure it out the scoring is the easy part just Mm -hmm. pick a name scoring is the easy part so you're going with more yeah i'm going with edlin and um, just for fun, since more might end up uh, pitching in four days for all, well, not in four days, but in 14 days for all we know, uh, well, let's just go ahead and give you credit for Hamilton and me credit for Holland as well. So we each get two picks. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, all right, good. So uh, remember to register for Hacking Mass. You heard us talk about it earlier this week. It's it's BP's quasi-fantasy game where you pick a roster of the players that you expect to be the worst this year. Uh, The deadline is tomorrow night, Friday night at midnight Pacific time. So 
go do that. Uh, again, you don't have to pay or anything, and you can potentially win prizes, and, and it's fun. So go to baseballperspectus.com HM to create a team and pick some players. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe to the Play Index, use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And please send us emails for next week at podcastbaseballperspectus.com. And we will be back tomorrow with uh, with a another show and hopefully a, a guest that you will enjoy hearing. So, uh, we, who is it? <laughs> you know full well who it is. Uh, we will I be do? back. Yeah. <laughs> well, you may not have met, read that email of mine, but <laughs> you had the potential to know who it is. <laughs> You'll know by the time we record. Um, huh. Okay, so we'll be back tomorrow.